Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello! Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast. On a Monday, we're going to talk some USC football. The Trojans are in training camp. They're starting getting ready for the opener. November 7th against Arizona State. Today, they will actually put pads on for the first time. And now we're going to talk about the first couple days of practice, what we learned from Zoom calls. We can't be out there, but we'll share what we know uh, from talking to the coaches and the players. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. Dot com or call or text 424-254-9141 is the number. We want to talk with the coach, Harvey High. He's been with us from the very beginning of the podcast, way back in 2008. This will be our 13th season covering the Trojans, and there's going to be a season. We're excited about that. You can follow Coach on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde or go to his website, HarveyHyde.com. Coach, how are you? I cannot believe it's been 13 years. It's going to be 13 years. Ryan, I can't believe that. You shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. Makes me a little bit older, man. <laughs> <laughs> man, did those years fly by, really, when you think about that. My gosh, 2008. Yeah, we sat down in like a restaurant. Uh, I forget which one it was, but we were up there and uh, just up in Pasadena somewhere doing the show and recording right. it and that, you know. Now it's a little more high-tech. But, yeah, it was fun doing it from back then and, and uh, all the way to now. Well, it's a lot of fun to do this podcast, and we enjoy our listeners who do call in with questions and answers, or some of them answers. I hope they would give us some answers to help us along. But, uh, Ryan, we're on a roll. We're getting near to the uh, season. We're going into full pads. And when you think about full pads, you watch college football every weekend, and you say, hey, these guys have been in full pads for a long time. And I'll tell you what a bunch of exciting football we've had. Where's the defense? My gosh, where's the defense? Not a lot of it out there, Coach. And, uh, we'll, you know, be curious to see. Actually, I was on a, a, a Zoom call with Clay Helton this morning. That was one of the questions. So we'll, we'll talk about sort of what's going on in practice right now in a minute. Before we get into all that, I did want to uh, – I just want to say a thank you from, from me and I'm sure from you, Coach. Uh, for Dan Weber, longtime contributor to uscfootball.com. This would have been his 20th season covering the Trojans. He originally covered them with the Riverside Press Enterprise. He covered USC football and UCLA basketball when the newspapers consolidated. Um, Dan wasn't covering the team anymore. I ended up hiring him, and uh, he's been covering the team with me and uscfootball.com ever since. He was planning on this being his uh, last season, but with everything that was going on, he had some some family health issues that he was working through. And, uh, you know, obviously the season gets delayed. He decided to uh, opt out a little early. So um, Dan Weber ended up, you know, him and his wife, Diane, uh, great people. They moved back to, uh, you know, Northern Kentucky, Cincinnati area where Dan's from, be with family and friends. And um, yeah, so he's moving on to the next stage of his life. He'll do some writing coaching. He's probably going to do some more books. He's, you know, he's written a USC book already, but he was such an integral part of the uscfootball.com team. We're going to miss him terribly. I just wanted to, you know, and he's been part of these podcasts for a long time too, coach. So just wanted to uh, say, you know, a hearty thank you to Dan Weber. I know people kind of were asking about it and there was, some, you know, he had personal stuff going on, so we didn't want to say anything. Uh, but yeah, Dan's moving on and we hope to have him, you know, stop in from time to time, which would be great after a while. But uh, I just wanted to say special thanks to Dan because he's, he's been a good friend and, and, a, and a great person to work with over all the years. I agree with you hundred percent. I love Dan. Dan, if you're listening today, buddy. I want to thank you for the shows you've been on with me on my regular broadcast. We appreciate you. I look forward to seeing you at practice all the time. I feel sorry for Keeley. Keeley doesn't know what to do without you, man. <laughs> she doesn't know what to do without you. Uh, every practice, you and Keeley would get together and, and give us an update on what you saw at practice and so on. It was great. Dan, I want to wish you the best of luck in whatever you do out there. And, and uh, if I can ever assist you in any way, please call me. Yeah, uh, so just just want to let people know we he posted on the Peristyle if you want to check it out and read it he put went into a lot of detail I think there was eleven pages of responses to people uh, to Dan so it was it was a great it's a great thread make sure you go check it out 
uh, over on the Parastyle on uscfootball.com. Um, but we do have a season to cover. And, and Coach Harvey Hyde, you mentioned, you know, every practice, Dan would write his ghost notes and, and kind of observations from what's going on. They would do instant analysis with Keeley. Uh, we're going to keep doing those. It'll be a little different. You know, Dan can't fill Dan's shoes like that, but we're going to do our best to put things out there. The problem is we can't actually get out and watch practice right now. So it's going to be through um, USC sending out photos and and some video of what they do at practice so we can, can, can go through those. And Keeley did a great analysis piece uh, of watching the video, like a five-minute video. We put it up there and – you know, what you've seen, what you kind of noticed from that video, you know, where guys are playing, things like that. So we'll analyze things that way. Make sure you check it out. Um, Shotgun's putting together ghost notes from every media session that we have. He's done, did one for Friday and did one this morning. Those were the only two media availabilities so far, the Monday morning one and the Friday one, but a lot of updates on injuries and things like that. So we'll, we'll bring you that kind of stuff. And they're doing like a zoom version of instant analysis, um, you know, with, Keely and shotgun or she'll mix it up. Probably like I'll, I'll get on there. Chris Trevino will get on there. We'll talk about what we saw, what we heard, you know, what we're hearing uh, about the uh, USC football team. But for right now, coach, it's weird. They're starting camp. We can't go out there and watch. So we're only going to get glimpses from what the players are saying. And like the, the media, whatever media has been released from USC. Well, you know what I'm going to miss the most out there is seeing all you guys. I really am. We all got together in the, in the playpen, and they had a wonderful buffet for us every time we came out there, and all the drinks and the sociability with everybody. It was absolutely fabulous. So I'm going to miss the meals. I'm going to miss the getting together that we all have and so on. But I'm serious. I'm just kidding you now about the meals and everybody <laughs> listeners. Believe me, Dan, you didn't say anything, Ryan. I was just wondering. I was like, but, what is he talking about? Yeah. What, you didn't know about those meals they had for us on the other side? I missed them you all. Didn't... I missed them, yeah. <laughs> but, no, it, it was great. Wasn't it how we all saw each other and stood out there and talked with the writers and you and everybody when we'd meet out there? And, uh, you know, we'd, in fact, we'd say, we're so-so today. Uh, and we sort of took role like the – we took role on the players. So – it's going to be different, but, you know, I always say adapt or die, and they always don't run the defense you think they're going to run, so you got to be ready to go. You have to be, and that, that is a missing the, the camaraderie of, you know, just talking to the other members of the media and, you know, making observations, seeing, oh, where's that guy? Where did he go? And uh, all that stuff is going to be tough. Hopefully we'll be able to get out there at some point, but for right now, campus is closed. They would have to make some sort of exception for uh, media to be out there, but camps, you know, campus is closed. They're taking a lot of precautions. You know, maybe they do some practices in the Coliseum. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but as of right now, um, you know, we, we're not going to be able to be out there. But you know, we're going to get some media availability, like we said with the Zoom calls. We've you know heard from Clay Helton twice. Uh, you know, we we heard from a couple of players, and I thought, Coach, maybe we'll go over some of the kind of injury updates, if that's okay with you, and then I'll, I'll get your thoughts on sure. it. Sure, I'd love to hear. Yep. So, uh, first of all, there's a couple of guys having surgery. The biggest news, so linebacker Jordan Iacefa, uh and uh, linebacker Solomon Tuialapupu, both out for the season with knee injuries that will require surgery. I think they've already had the surgeries, but Jordan Iacefa had sort of this, you know, he's he's had knee problems for a while. Hoping to see him come back as a senior, you know he's he's going to be able to come back and play in 2021. And Solomon Tuial Pupu's just had that foot injury forever, and he's going to be out, um, you know, with the with the knee injury now. So he's you know big, strong linebacker. It'd be really it would have been really fun to kind of see what he could do. Uh, you know, Todd Orlando's a linebacker guy. I really wanted to see what he could do in that defense, but neither of those guys are going to be around. They're both having surgery. I know. I'm very disappointed in that. I, I really am. Uh, both kids, I really feel sorry for them because they really look forward to getting back and ready to go. And they're both great players, dedicated players. Both could have been starting starters this year. And they've just had nothing but bad luck. And, uh, you know, when I look at this and, and I say, I say, why? What, what's happening that they can't be repaired at the rehab? They had no spring practice. I mean, what's the problem with them getting these 
knees fixed and ankles fixed and so on. Is it a career-ending type of situation? What What is going on? So, you know, I would I would say, are they getting hurt after the rehabbing in the weight room? I mean, if I'm Coach Clay Helton, I know if I was the head football coach, I'd start to sit down and, and meet with my strength coach or I'd visit the, the strength conditioning program a lot and see just what these guys are doing in there. Because I don't want uh, – I'm not training my guys for the Olympics, I'd tell my strength coach. I'm training them to be football players and run around the football field and not get injured off the field. They've had so many injuries of players that have had surgery off the field as much as on the field. And when they get hurt, they don't come back. I don't understand. They just sort of disappear and they never play again or or it's recurring again or – you know, or like Jackson with a hamstring. I mean, I mean, all these little type of things were uh, nagging type of things that never go away. So, uh, you know, I'd be real concerned on that, and I would really take a look, if I'm the head football coach, on what's happening uh, in my offseason, my rehab, the strength and conditioning room, because I want my players ready to practice, not all injured. Yeah, there's uh, – I mean, it's, it's concerning because Iosefa had – a previous knee injury that cost him the 2019 season. Um, if it's the same one, it's really going to be the third time he's had surgery for a patella injury uh, that he suffered. So last year's fall camp, um, stuff like that's concerning where it's just kind of nagging on and on to a poo He had this foot injury that I remember covering him in high school. That was, he was dealing with, he gets to USC and it's just kind of lingering. He gets out there for like one practice is like, running around and like breaking pat breaking up passes and stuff. And then we don't see him again. So some, I don't know if it's, I'm not sure why coach, but especially with those two players, it just seems to be like these nagging things. Now Tula Pupu didn't have a knee problem, but he has that now, but yeah, that's, it's concerning to see like when you kind of see these guys get injured and just, it just keeps going and going and going. There's always some kind of injury issue. No, and that's what I'm concerned with when I say that. Because, you know, they're great players. They love the game of football. It's not like they're not trying to get back. I know these guys probably work their you-know-what off in the rehab, go in three or four times a day and go into strength and conditioning room and do what uh, they're supposed to do to get ready to play. But I'm just concerned on what's going on and what's being done where these guys don't get better and where they keep nagging. And uh, there's got to be a reason for it, you know. Ryan, there's always a reason for something, okay? Either the surgery portion of it or the rehab portion of it or injured it again by doing strength and conditioning programs that maybe your knees or ankles aren't ready for. So, you know, uh, I, you know, we go there in the spring and we saw all the players running up and down the sideline getting ready. They weren't even ready for spring. Well, a lot of these same players aren't even ready for fall, not even fall for November or October play. So I'm starting to say, What's going on? Just a question, folks. Just what? Just a question. What's going on? And if I'm the head football coach, I'm going to try to check it out. Yeah. Some other injury news. So Kyle Ford had the knee surgery over the summer. Um, he's going to continue to rehab that. And tight end Ethan Ray, uh, he's still in re- rehab from the knee surgery he had out of his senior year of high school. He probably will not be participating during uh, you know camp. Um, also, Elijah Winston. He's rehabbing. Uh, he broke uh, his ankle over the summer, so he's going to continue to rehab there. So we'll probably won't see those three guys. Uh, Maneer McLean, uh, the you know wide receiver, he was suspended from all team activities, and Clay Elton wasn't going to discuss it. Uh, what it's for, we don't know for how long. We don't know really what it's for. Uh, and he also said Jay Tefeli's uh, opted out. It doesn't uh, doesn't think that's going to change. Yeah, that's too bad. I, I was hoping that he would come back and play. I know that they – I read this article in the Times that was written and gave a detailed report on what happened and and why he opted out because of his sister and so on and the virus and and all of that. And uh, But I, I just wish he could have come back and played. I know he could have gone for an appeal. I know he probably received some money. I, I don't know, but I'm from uh, someone to help with the family and – and so on, but I wish he'd at least gone for an appeal. Because I understand, supposedly he's working out for the NFL, so he's at some, uh, you know, training center doing that. Uh, at least allow the NCAA to say, "No, we're sorry, uh, you took money or whatever you signed with an agent." But 
I would think you'd have a 50-50 chance with the story that he told as far as his sister being in the hospital and his family. I would have thought that the NCAA at all, if they had any passion at all, would have said, hey, we'll pass this and uh, you go back and you can play. That, that's the way I look at that. I just would have liked to have seen him give it a shot. You know what I mean? As far as being a Trojan, be back with the Trojan family. Yeah, uh, we thought that would be in his best interest uh, to do that, especially because it's a short season and kind of getting ready for uh, the, the draft, but it doesn't look like that's going to change. We did, you know, obviously Elijah Vera Tucker changed his mind uh, and that was nice. Um, that's a big boost uh, for, for USC. So um, he rejoined the team. He was with the team for OTAs, which were the la- the previous two weeks of practice. Um, and so he kind of joined the team later for that. Clay Hilton really loved the OTAs, by the way, he talked about that this morning um, you know, so you can get out there and, and put your helmets on and really go through some of the install stuff where it's, it's sort of like maybe like a Thursday practice, no pads, you're out there and just kind of running through drills and stuff. I think that was something that really helped. And he actually talked about to the, he said he wanted the NCAA to allow that more because it really was a good way to prepare for training camp, no hitting things like that, but getting all the install stuff done, uh, and getting ready there. But there's also three players that have opted out uh, for this fall. So they're not going to play this season, but they will rejoin the team in the fall of 2021. Uh, Jacob Lichtenstein, a defensive lineman, and a pair of offensive linemen, Frank Martin and uh, Bernard Shermer. So all three of those guys decided to opt out. They won't play this fall for COVID reasons, but they will be back uh, next year because everyone gets that extra year from the NCAA. Well, you know, there's goods and bads with that. You know, first of all, the goods are the kids don't uh, feel like they should be out there, so you're allowing them not to be out there, and you're allowing them to come back, which is good. But again, you can look at the bads of it, too, and you look at it and you say, here we are with uh, needing uh, defensive linemen, especially offensive linemen, and now we're short. So I just don't know how much uh, they are with the team. Do they eat with the team? Are they with the team in the weight room? Are they with the team in the – training room, academic rooms, or so on? Uh, will they be around the team whatsoever to get the same type of exposures? I don't know. So I don't know uh, exactly what they're allowed to do if they opt out, or do they separate themselves completely and go home? I'd like to know more about what opting out means. I mean, are you off scholarship? You're on scholarship? You're probably on scholarship. But to what state? I mean, uh, do you get a stipend uh, check to stay at home and eat and train and so on, or what? And another good thing, your younger linemen, on the good side of it, get more reps. So some of the young uh, linemen that come in will get more reps to be able to get ready to play for the coming 2021 season. So you look at it both ways. You, you look at it uh, and you say, what really are you gaining opting out? And what means opting out? I'd like to have someone detail this to me so I understand it. So I understand if you're around the team anyway, what's the difference of opting out or not? Uh, Why would you opt out? But if you do opt out, are you away from the team because of the virus? That's why you're opting out. So, you know, I'm not trying to uh, stir up things here, but I'm just asking questions. Would someone please answer these questions for me? And the younger offensive linemen, I would be pretty excited. And maybe when these guys come back, they want to have a chance to play. Yeah, there's uh curious to see. I mean, if if you're concerned about, you know, exposing yourself, exposing your family to the virus, it seems like that's uh the the main issue here, but really it's okay to opt out and come back next year because you it doesn't cost you any eligibility, but it, it's a nice opportunity. Like a guy like Jacob Lichtenstein, um I thought he could be a a much bigger contributor and with so many questions on the offensive line, you got a couple of veterans like Frank Martin and Bernard Shermer. I mean, they could certainly get in the two deep and, and, and be around there somewhere, but there's, there's positions up for grabs, you know, and they really have to try to find the best five guys. So missing a couple of the veterans, uh, you know, not ideal situation there, coach. No, no, no. And, and, you know, I understand the educational portion of it too, before some of these players leave, they'll have their PhDs. Uh, I'm not <laughs> you. They, they've been there so many times and they don't lose this year that, you know, you can go on and get your MBA and so on. But my goodness, I mean, uh, what a scholarship opportunity for USC. It's a tremendous uh, opportunity for these players and athletes and the the PAC 12 allowing this to happen that you don't lose a year anyway. 
So you get your year back. So, you know, it's hard for me to understand it. That's all. Look how many players you've named. What have you named? Ten players here this morning? Ten players? Twelve players that aren't going to be on the roster here come for the season? Yeah. It's uh, it's it's significant. I mean, the big one, obviously, is, is Elijah Vera Tucker coming back. But there's significant, you know, losses there. Um, you know, guys that would have been really interesting. One of the more interesting guys is Drake Jackson. Total stud, you know, played defensive end, outside linebacker for USC. He's actually nursing a hamstring injury, Coach. He's going to be brought along slowly over the next couple of weeks, so probably very limited the next week or so in camp. But what's interesting is he's down to about 245, 250 after playing at 275 uh, last year. Helton's called him explosive. Um, he doesn't seem like he's concerned with the weight loss. He's a unique talent. You know, Helton said he's a unique talent for a big man, that strong of a man. He's really explosive and athletic. He could be a defensive end or an outside linebacker. And it seems like in Orlando's scheme, he would fit well in that outside linebacker role where he could bounce in and out, you know, three man fronts, four man fronts, and still be a weapon coming off the edge. Just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on Drake Jackson might be a little bit different role than what we've seen before. Well, uh, yes, I don't know exactly how they're going to use him. They're going to put him in different type of situations, wide side of the field, uh, bring him in side stunts, do different type of things uh, with him, uh, something like a, uh, well, I don't I don't know what to call it, but uh, sort of a rover type of situation or forest guy or whatever. But, uh, you know, I used to recruit a guy because I liked what I saw on film. And I used to say, you know, if this guy continues to grow, and I continue to coach him, and we're, we're the damn as a coaching staff and get our players in the right position, let's don't change what he's already learned. And I'm used to be the type of guy to say, this guy's going to play in the NFL someday. What a great rush defensive end he is. I mean, let's get this guy ready. Let's get him to be like a, a Williams, Leonard Williams, the last great defensive lineman we've had around here, and let him wild, go crazy. You know, you start changing people after kids played football for – eight years, six years, depending on you know, how many years he's played football, and the guy's thinking now rather than playing. I'd rather see him line him up as a defensive end and let him go come across that line of scrimmage and make every tackle that's going to block him and not be able to sleep for a week, wondering how in the heck am I going to block this guy. It's unbelievable how to block this guy. So I, I, I'd rather keep a guy at a position that he's so good at already, then they're trying to train him and change him where he's going to be somebody else now. And he's going to be learning rather than just playing free and letting his body fly around. And, and don't forget all the things you learned before. Let him get better at the things he learned before. So I, I always say I got a question mark on things like that. I think you've got players, I think, at a, on a roster at, like at USC that can play certain type of things. But I hate to see great players, uh, people trying to change them. Like I gave you that story when I was at UNLV and I looked over at my special teams coach and he was trying to teach Randall how to punt the ball. He was dropping the ball uh, the wrong way. Randall Cunningham I'm talking about. And I walked over to the special teams coach and said, what are you doing? Well, coach, he's not dropping the ball right. Well, I said, well, we're leading, he's leading the nation in punting. <laughs> I said, why Why do we want to change him? First-team All-American punter, we're going to change the way he's dropping the ball? I said, from now on, I'm coaching the punters. <laughs> and, and, and that's exactly a true story. Now, I'm telling you, when somebody does something right, let him do it. Don't try to change somebody that because you don't think it's by the book or whatever or uh, like like you're talking about Jackson, let him play what he's been playing for 10 years or eight years. Let him play and fly around, not having him think. And that's just my opinion now. And everything on this show is an opinion. Yeah. A uh, couple more thing notes from practice. Uh, well, from the Zoom calls. So Clay Hilton, like I said, this today, we're recording this on Monday. We had a Zoom call 730 in the morning. We had Clay Hilton. Um and if one of the things that you, I, I definitely want you guys to check out uscfootball.com, we're going through the videos that USC is releasing and a couple observations that my team made about Vivai Malapai not being a participant. Also, 
uh, Brandon Peely um, wasn't out there. And certainly his role is very important because. Are you kidding me? Malapi is not out there. So I'll, I'll, I'll fill you in what's going on. So uh, Brandon Peely uh, wasn't there either. And his important because, um, you know, Jay Tefelli opted out. So him and Marlon Tuipelotu are going to be a big part of the interior of the defensive line. So I asked Clay Helton about that specifically um, this morning. So he said, Vivai Malapai. So he's, you know, coming through, um, you know, he had the, the knee issues from before, but that's fine. He had a little bit of a hamstring entry that Helton said was, quote, going to take a little bit of time uh, to get it right. So Malapai is dealing with a little hamstring right now. And then Brandon Peely had some kind of stomach issue. So it doesn't look like there's anything really wrong with Brandon. He might have just been feeling ill. But, there's, you know, it's not a deep group on the uh, for the running backs. We saw so many guys get hurt last year. And Clay Elton kind of talked about that this morning as well. He would like to have some, uh, you know, 20 personnel where you have two backs, no tight ends, and three receivers. But you need those guys to be healthy. Uh, if possible. And then obviously you need that interior defensive line to be healthy because you're trying to replace Jay Tefele who opted out. So those couple of guys that we just noticed on the video uh, weren't really in there. And then I asked Clay Helton and that's what he said this morning, coach. Oh man. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, uh, I don't know what to tell you. These guys getting sick or, or not, uh, hamstrings and so on. It go back it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. I I want to find out what the hell's going on. Malapiai, uh, you know, and these guys all these guys. I mean they gotta be ready to play with uh, we're in camp now and they they come to camp hurt. Everybody's injured. Man, I'd rather have them surf all summer. At least they come back and they're ready to play and they're not hurt. I mean, yeah, you gotta have your players ready when you're getting ready for combat, you know? Can't be getting uh, missing turns, but you're missing conditioning. You're missing all the things that are necessary. If you watch football on the weekend, you see backs running the ball 10 straight plays, pounding the ball on the ground, not alternating, but just running the football. And, you know, you see more of that every day if you watch the teams play this past weekend. The running game's coming back. People are finding out you can't win without running the football. And you see teams doing that better and better every week. And, we can get into that later on as the season goes along as far as sets and number of backs and tight ends. The use of tight ends now in college football, I've been crying about that for how long, about the use of tight ends and how great they can be as far as in, in holding defenses and mismatches and all of the above and great blocking tight ends. But to have injured players like this, man, Ryan, I can't believe uh, uh, the number of players that mispractice. And when they miss practice, you know, I think they should be out there at practice. Now, that's a philosophy I had. Training isn't done during practice. Training is done, and when you mean training, that's rehab, is done around practice. So when your team is practicing and your group is practicing, you are out there with your helmet on so you look like you're part of the Army, okay? Now, you're listening to every single technique the coach is talking to with others, and you learn by the correction of what he's telling others as far as what they did right and what they did wrong. And you can catch footballs. You can do different type of things. You can feel a part of the team. And I think this is something I think you need to put in as far as for all of your positions. As far as I used to say that, don't use training for a way to miss practice. You do that around practice. So, you know, this is just the old philosophy I have. And and I hope, uh, and I don't see that really at USC. So I don't know, uh, you know, what what's going to go on uh, with this. But man, you can't keep having people hurt all the time or finding reasons to mispractice. And you remember way back, I was on everybody's case when a player mispracticed because he had a wedding rehearsal. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, you remember? The, I about went off on that one. You know what I mean? <laughs> and and your starting quarterback was missing practice because he was at his wedding. I mean, are you kidding me? Please, let's move on. Yeah, uh, one last thing, Coach, before we'll uh, uh, get into some of the questions. Just to let everyone know the schedule. Like I mentioned, there was like a two-week period uh, after the season was announced where you know, they were calling. They're similar to OTAs, and Clay Houghton really loved how those went. It was a great way to install the new special team systems, the new defensive systems, get people working in the offense, uh, you know, second year with – Graham Harrell, he thought that was invaluable. And 
Practice started on Friday. They practiced Friday, Saturday. You got that acclimation period that the NCAA requires. And starting on Monday, they took Sunday off. Starting on Monday, they're going to do a couple days in shells with you know just shoulder pads and helmets. And then Wednesday, they'll be able to go um, full full uh, full bore. You know, they can do full pads, and that should be interesting. They can do tackling and things like that. So really, kind of getting into the meat of practice uh, this week, Coach. I think that's great. I'll tell you, I used to use a lot of that on the field uh, as far as teaching. Uh, I didn't believe in chalk talks a lot. You know, when you're going to meetings, uh, I did believe in them a lot as far as watching film on your practices and what you did. But, I, you know, why would you draw it up on a board? I used to tell my coaches, why do you draw it up on a board? Then you walk back on the field and you do it again. Go through what you walked up, uh, what you drew on the board. Well, you get their concentration is by walking through it and letting them see what you're talking about. Visualize it. So I really felt always whenever you could go onto the field and teach something that's a lot more beneficial to you than drawing it on a, a board or or now they don't use drawing on boards. They use all these projectors and so on. I think you're better off going out there and teaching it, walking through. Now, if the guy goes in motion, this is the adjustment we have. If you're secondary, this and that. In fact, we used to have a period every day with no footballs whatsoever when the offensive receivers and the defensive secondary and backs and so on would, without no football, would both run through every formation we had, come out so I could make sure that they knew where to line up in a formation. They knew how to go in motion. They knew how to do the different timing things that they had to do. And the defense could make all their adjustments on depending what their call was and also what calls they had to call off because what was happening. That way you re- repeated it over and over and over, and you did it against people who were professionally doing it the way they're supposed to. On the offensive side of the football, you don't have a defensive guy going into motion or a defensive guy trying to be an offensive guy. So we helped each other as far as making each other get better at the same time. And you could have two of these groups going on at the same time. I always felt you learn more by going through it than you do drawing it on a board. Yeah. One last topic for you, Coach. The uh, With full pads starting on Wednesday, Clay Hilton this morning was asked about sort of balancing between, you know, full, you know, full on tackling, uh, you know, tackling in practice versus trying to prevent uh, injuries. And, Clay Helton said, you're going to hold your breath a little bit because you have to institute it in your full pad practice days. You have to practice tackling, and we will each of our full pad days. He also praised Todd Orlando teaching fundamentals of tackling technique uh, in individuals and in in non-full pad days. But then you have to put them out there live, and he expects periods to periods of live scrimmages on their full uh, pad days. So just want to get your thoughts on that. Well, good. I'm happy he's doing that. Uh, maybe we're getting somewhere. But the only way you learn to play football is to play football, not walk through it and play football. And you do have to take risks sometimes as far as getting to be a better football team and tackling. You see a lot of missed tackles. Uh, we were talking about that earlier because you can't walk through and demonstrate hitting somebody and then try to hit somebody when it's live. You got to promise, you got to practice hitting them when you're tackling so they don't bump and run through you and you take shots and they run over you like you see happening right now in college football. But they haven't had a spring practice. They haven't had a lot of tackling that's been going on live. And the only way you learn how to tackle is tackling. You don't see the targeting penalties. You see a lot of targeting penalties right now because the kids are not uh, tuned in as far as a guy making a move or doing something as far as uh, that he's they hadn't seen in practice. So you've got to be able to tackle live. You've got to be able to scrimmage. You've got to be able to like some of the things you're talking about with it that he's saying. You've got to be able to hit, and you can hit a lot. You can go live with inside drills, offensive line. You don't need to have a complete 11 on 11, but you can do a lot of hitting. Inside drills with your running back and a quarterback. You have run drill going on, pass drill going on. You've got a lot of things going on. Tackling drills going on with the secondary receivers blocking them. And the back coming out there and the receiver having to block the defensive back, the defensive back having to get off the block and make a tackle live. I'm talking about live, live drills where these guys really have an opportunity to make it look like it's a game. And unless you institute that, unless you teach like that, 
you just can't turn it on game day. It just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. You've got to be able to do it and then occasionally throw a pass in there where the defensive back doesn't get fooled and start playing the run, and uh, you've got to be able to make him play it, uh, you know, like it's going to be in the game. Yeah. All right, well, let's take a quick break, Coach, and we'll come back and answer some questions. The Rose Bowl Legacy Foundation preserves, protects, and enhances the future of the Rose Bowl Stadium as a national historic landmark. America's Stadium has hosted two Olympic Games, with a third one coming in 2028, two World Cup Finals, five Super Bowls, and the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl since 1923. It is the epic center of college football and is the most iconic stadium in the world. To learn more about how you can support the Rose Bowl Stadium as it turns 100 years young, visit www.inspire, which spells inspire2022.org. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Coach, we got some questions we want to get to. We got a text message. Um, with all the injuries at linebacker, why not brew, move Brew McCoy to outside linebacker? At modern day, I always felt he was a great wide receiver, but a Hall of Fame rushing pass-rushing linebacker. Alabama thought he was a linebacker over a wide receiver. What do you think, Coach? The problem is USC is kind of thin at the the receiver spot too. Some really great players, but you know guys like Kyle Four out, Manier McLean out. Um, I, they're a little thin there as well. Well, I think this is a team and an individual player's uh, decision as far as how thin you really are at outside linebacker and what the desires is of, of a football player. Uh, and you can move a football player to outside linebacker, but if he doesn't believe in it 100%, he's not going to be worth a damn because he wanted to be a receiver. A guy's got to want to play a position. A guy's got to play it like it, they're two different type of, of positions completely. So, you know, a guy's got to say, where's my future, what I want to do, how can I help the team the best, and believe in that. I mean, and sell out and say, forget it, I'm not a receiver, I'm a defensive lineman, and and I'm getting after now these guys uh, that I uh, used to uh, be my teammates and what I wanted to be, they're, they're the enemy. And if he doesn't buy in on that 100%, you can't move anybody. They don't want to move. You've got to sit down and say, hey, this is what we could do. This is what your future is, but your heart's got to be in it. If your heart's not in it and you don't believe it 100% that we all feel that you could be a great outside linebacker and your future's an outside linebacker, and he says, no, I don't think it is. It's a receiver. They don't move him because you're not going to get the 100% that you want out of him. Yeah. He's got to believe in it. or almost It's almost got to be his idea to come into your office and sit down and say, you know, Coach, we're hurting a linebacker. You know, I'm not a bad linebacker. I mean, I think I could go over there and start. Now you got his attention. Now he's got my attention. Really? This is the way it's got to be. You can't force a position on somebody. No, I think it's uh, it would I, it's it's got to be up to the player at some point that where they want to play and if they're going to put their heart into it. But I think he's a guy that could go either way. They it seems like USC is very comfortable with him playing wide receiver, and that's probably where they're going to go with him. Uh, let's go to a voicemail, Coach. Hi, No Valley. This is for the coach. Coach, what would you do against the drop eight defense? We're going to see that. So often it's been shutting down Mike Leach and Mississippi State because most of the announcers say that they're not patient enough to run the ball, not patient enough to in front of the uh, eight-man coverage. How would you attack it? When I saw it um, on film this year against us, a lot of people have three down linemen with real wide sets like they're daring us to run it up the middle. Five linemen with four receivers and a running back versus three down linemen with a wide set. What would you do, Curtis from Moreno Valley? Well, Curtis, you touch on a good point. Uh, I'm telling you, uh, defenses now are designed to stop the pass because it's been a passing, you know, couple of years. Uh, last five or six years, everybody just throwing the football over the place. And now what's happened, defenses can't stop the run especially when you have an athletic uh, 
quarterback. If you watch college football today, you see backs running up and down the field at Alabama, Texas A&M. We go on and on and on. And backs and defensive linebackers missing tackles and defensive backs running over defensive backs and so on. Because they haven't seen this. They're, they're supposed to be a cover guy. I'm a cover guy. I'm not a tackler. So you see Alabama really working on it. You see Harris uh, and you see Jacobs and you see these different backs that are really pounding people. And uh, I think you've got to run the football. You can't win big time without being able to be physical. And when you're physical, you can run the football, you can get the short yardage, you can get the, hold on to the football to win a football game, as you saw teams do this week uh, weekend that were real close football games. If they could make a two or three first downs by running the football, the clock keeps going, the defense has to burn a timeout, you can win football games. And then you saw what Alabama did. They ran the ball five straight times, then they came around with a play-action pass and hit the guy down the street for, for a touchdown. Because the guy's not ready for that. Nobody thought they were going to throw that pass. And the play-action pass was just killed the poor uh, corner. Now it had to be a great pass. Jones threw a great pass. But that's part of it. You've got to be able to run the football. And that's what opens up your tight end as far as it drags and coming across the field and corner routes and flooding the flats now where a guy has all the three options going on. It's just too difficult to stop. But unless you believe in the run, you're not going to be able to run the football. And when they give me the middle like that, and they give me seams like that, I'm going to take them, man. I'm going to let my back. All I want my offensive lineman to do is tie. Tie in a linebacker. Tie in a defensive end. Tie in a defensive tackle. Just tie. And if I can tie, my back has the God-given ability to find that seam and run over somebody or find that seam. And when he gets in the secondary, do you see how they break tackles in the secondary now? But those guys can't tackle these guys. They're big and they're strong and they're not used to it. They really are, are trying to block them down. And when you block these backs down, they don't go down. You've got to wrap up and drive through them. So that's my feeling on those eight-man drops and three-man fronts and so on. Run at it, baby. And now they can't run that type of stuff. Yeah. Let's uh, – yeah, that's, it'll be interesting to watch. Um, I mean, you see, like, Mississippi State's just falling off a cliff. Uh, they might not even start KJ Costello in the next game. But there's definitely different ways to defend that, and that's going to be something that Graham Harrell and the, the offense will have to adjust to. Um, we had uh, Jack from New Jersey uh, you know, write in. He had a couple of questions. Um, first, he said his middle daughter attends Miami. So I find myself a Canes fan, but never more than a Trojan fan. Uh, they've been they've been on TV four times, and I just want to know how Bubba Bolden got away. So the former USC safety out there, coach, uh, balling for uh, the Hurricanes. Yep, he's down there. I can't remember the exact case now and what happened. I, I I don't know if he got in trouble or argument with one of the coaches or something. And he left. You know, if you look at Galen, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, the guy from UCLA, number 15, that's playing down there. Phillips. Boy, is he playing well. Yeah. Wow. Now, he's the guy that, remember, when they recruited the USC, they said, no, we don't want to take you in the fall or the spring. We want to take you in the fall. And he says he got all upset. And so he went to UCLA. Well, he let, left UCLA, and he's down there. He He's playing like an all-pro player. I mean, he's aggressive. Man, he's really a great player. And I remember that. We had a big talk about that on on this uh, podcast about how SC turned him down and uh, and uh, how his coach got exci- uh, really upset out there. I forget his name. I used to know that coach. But got really upset and said he never sent another player because they reneged on the scholarship. But, uh, yeah, I can't remember. Can you remember how he got there? He's out of Bishop Gorman. I know that the quarterback from Bishop Gorman, who had gone to Ohio State, left there too. And he went to Miami, and uh, that was probably the connection why he went down there. But I don't know why he left USC. He's a great player. I'm telling you, he was a five star. Yeah, no, he was uh, he was a stud. Um, so uh, Brevin Jordan was his former high school teammate, the tight end for Miami. He played uh, so I think 13 games as a freshman. He was expected to be that was 2017. Expected to be the starter in 2018. Um, and then he posted on Instagram that he got a 28 month 
suspension from USC, according to the Los Angeles Times. So, um, so they, I, what's it called? In his post, he said USC's student uh, judicial affairs and community standards quote believe that he's responsible for violating the student code of conduct uh, pertaining uh, pertaining to underage drinking at an off-campus party in February 2018. Uh, and he was trash talking with fellow party goers. Uh, he said he left after the vibe got unfriendly, but then nine days later, the party host reported uh, they, they were threatened by him. So there was this whole big issue with him being on campus. And then uh, he got reinstated and enrolled in classes, but he opted to, to, to transfer out anyway. So there was some student conduct sort of issue. I think he felt that he wasn't treated uh, very fairly. He was eventually reinstated, but um, at the end of the day, he ended up transferring out. Ryan, you're right on, baby. I don't know how you remember all that. I remember exactly when that all happened, and I had an opinion on that, but I'm not going to get into it now because I really don't remember it exactly what the circumstances were. But, yeah, I remember that when that happened. Yeah. Um, Jack also wanted to know uh, – he said, I know we're not supposed to ask recruiting questions. You don't ha- I mean, it's not you don't have to, but we have a recruiting podcast with Gerard that we talk about that. But he's like, what the hell with Jake Garcia and his family? If you don't know, Jake Garcia is the, the four-star um, quarterback commit for USC, ended up transferring uh, high schools to play in Georgia and play the first couple games. And then now is deemed that he, he wasn't eligible. They did an interview with ESPN and his dad talked about Basically, to transfer him there, he had to separate from his wife, and they're going to get back together, but really, they separated, and he moved, so he was allowed to bring his son there, and I guess the uh, commission there at, at Georgia felt that that wasn't a legit, you know, that they were just doing that for transfer purposes, and he was now deemed ineligible. So, both of USC's quarterback commits, Miller Moss and now Jake Garcia, aren't playing uh, this fall, but I don't know if you read about that, Coach, if you had any thoughts on it. Yeah, uh, I do. I, in fact, that team he transferred to, Valdosa, in Georgia, played on national TV this last weekend on Friday. And, uh, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Uh, they had a formal separation, and him and his father moved down there. And uh, after two games, he played in two games, they declared him ineligible, because I, the way I understand it, now I don't understand it. This is just what I hear. Uh, what I mean is his mother came down there with the other kids and the commissioner said, wait a minute, I thought you guys were separated or whatever. This is just rumors I've heard. So they declared him ineligible. So that's what happened there. And I didn't think he should have gone down there in the first place because you have a spring football league here possibly that's going to be starting here in California. But uh, we see what happens. Uh, you know, it seems like it's a lot of, a lot of things you have to do. Uh, you try to play football, and then when it doesn't work out, it doesn't it isn't right, and you waste a lot of your time and family money and, and all of that. Maybe it's best just to play it out and do what's right, and we'll see what happens. But I still, I really hope that he stays committed to USC. I know he's being recruited hard by Miami uh, and so on, so I just hope he stays committed to USC along with Moss. Yeah. We got one last question for you, Coach. Uh, it's a text message from Marcel in the IE. It's not really a question. He just had a statement. I know everyone hates Lane Kiffin, but he can call plays. Um, yeah, so Ole Miss that uh, defensively didn't really hold up against Alabama. I forget. I think they scored. Did Alabama score? Scored like nine touchdowns. Or like they only gave up like there's only like 42 total yards that they didn't allow. Like. They basically, you know, got like two stops that weren't touchdowns, but it was only by like 42 yards. Like Alabama basically got every yard possible outside of like 42 yards or something like that. So, I mean, his play calling was good. They scored points, but man, defensively, they didn't do anything. Do you remember who that quarterback was? Do you remember he was committed to USC? Do you remember him? Matt Matt, Corral? Matt Corral, yeah, for, for sure. He looked I'm going to tell you what, that, that kid can play. I'll tell you, I'm watching the first couple of games on television. That kid's a great athlete. He runs around good. He's in control. Now, he threw for all those yards against Alabama. And uh, I think he's a he's a great player. I'll tell you, he lived, I think he was at Oak Christian, and then he went to Long Beach Poly, if I remember yeah. correctly. 
and then went off to somewhere to college and then transferred down to Mississippi. I, I'm a, I'm gonna tell you, that kid really played well, and I think Lane Kiffin has grown up to be a a good football coach. I think they're going to get better. I thought they had a great offensive scheme, an offensive plan, and they executed it well. And uh, they gave Alabama all they could handle. Believe me, at the end of the game, Alabama had to hang on and, and got that win. I think they broke an all-time Southeastern Conference total yardage record of over 1,300 yards in the football game. And when you think about uh, when's the last time Nick Saban had 500 or 600 yards <laughs> on his defense. It's been a long time. And he said it after the game, I'm going to enjoy this game for a little bit, but then we got to work on our defense. Yeah. Some significant defensive issues going on there, but you know, you're, uh, you're Lane Kiffin. There's some positives. I think you can take away from that. If you can just stop, uh, you know, stop somebody every once in a while, but they look like they're going to be a fun offense. And uh, yeah, I agree with Marcel. He can Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin's not a bad play caller. No, but about Mike Leach. Everybody knows about him. He didn't score a touchdown for the first time in his career. He got beat by Kentucky, what was it, 27 to 2. 27 to 2. So after a first week where I had KJ Costello up for the Heisman Trophy <laughs> in his win against LSU, not knowing exactly what LSU's situation is, the last two games they've lost. And he's thrown a lot of interceptions. So, you know. You win with the pass, and you lose with the pass. So, you know, it's just uh, part of football. Yeah, that was a that was a rough one. Um, after you know setting records and 627 yards, now KJ Costello might not even start the next game. Uh, all right, coach. Well, good stuff. Uh, we appreciate you coming on. And uh, yeah, camp is here. Training camp, fall camp. We're not really call it fall camp, but whatever it is, they're they're getting ready for a football season. So we're excited for that, but coach, we're excited to talk to you every week and thanks for doing it. Well, thank you, Brian. And thank you, uh, all of you out there to send in uh, questions for us to answer. Uh, you be safe out there and, uh, let's get football here closely for the pac 12 and enjoy the football. that's on now. Sounds good coach. Thanks everyone for tuning in and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 